0: Christmas, everyone! Merry Christmas to those of you who are online with us at Homer Glen, at New Lenox, at Orland Park. What's what's the answer? Thank you. I, I was worried people were not going to know. Listen, if you want to grow in your Christian life, you need to read the Bible, and if you're going to fit in at Parkview, you need to watch Christmas Vacation. Okay, I'm just telling you because uh, I mean, here's what I want you to do next week. Um, Todd's preaching. Doesn't Todd kind of remind you of Todd, if you think about it, from Christmas vacation? So when he comes out to preach, I I want you to just yell out. Why is the carpet all wet, Todd? Okay, when he comes out, just do that, and uh, we'll see if he knows the answer. I I, uh, also want to encourage you to invite people to the services. I've gotten a preview of some of the stuff that we're doing. Um, I mean, there's a special song in there that's going to blow your mind. I I mean, the stuff that we're going to do is going to be fantastic, so make sure that you're inviting people, and listen, if we I mean, we're already talking about it. If we're running out of room at services, we'll add some more, um, you know, to the 23 that we have already. And speaking of that, um, there is a, you know, big need for your help. And especially if we end up with more than 23 services, we could really use your help. I mean, just parking lot, um, you know, the the guest services, the kids, all those things. It's only kids through five years old. Okay. So, you know, it's just like poopy diapers and colds and stuff that you're going to get. It, you don't have to know anything. You don't have to teach them about Jesus or anything, you know. It's just a poopy diaper. So you could do that. Come on. Just birth through five years old. Fill out the form and drop it off on your way in and, uh, it, it, and help us out because this is really, I mean, I think especially last year was awesome, but we can only do 50% capacity. And, you know, I mean, it, I'm, I just think this year everybody needs it that much more, right? Okay. So did you get your tree up? Yes, everybody. I got my tree up. Don't judge me. Um, but, but I got it. Uh, um, we're talking about Unraveled, that's why I'm wearing the ugly Christmas sweater uh, because in some ways it's the most wonderful time of the year and in other ways it's the worst possible time of the year, right? Uh, I mean, and, and it seems like every Christmas, no matter what, um, Christmas ends up sounding something like this version of Handel's Messiah. <laughs> There it is, he got it, got it back. Good, good, good. Now, some of you are tone deaf and you're like, whoa, that sounded fine, right? <laughs> no, no, it de- definitely didn't sound fine. As a matter of fact, my wife would eat, make me turn on my headphones when I was listening to it on my laptop, all right? That's what it feels like a lot of times when Christmas comes around, which is why National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation is always so popular, because you get to that point where you feel like you just need a little help from Jack Daniels, am I right? It happens every year. And the problem of it, of the whole thing, is that it's unrealistic expectations of what we think, what we want to have happen. And it doesn't work out that way. You know, there's a happy feeling nothing in the world can buy when they pass around the chocolate and the pumpkin pie. The real problem is that isn't true. So we talked last week about our uh, unravelled families, and my family wasn't supposed to be like this. And how am I going to deal with my family? And man, I heard I, everybody I talked to said. You were talking to me. (laughs) I mean, I I didn't know everybody's family was that bad, but it seems like it it was true, and and it was really, uh, I think it was really encouraging just to to realize that, you know, the first family was kind of messed up too. And the deal is, like I said last week, we've read the story so many times, we've idealized it. We put the nativity scene out, and, and we forget, you know, we sing Silent Night, and we picture this serene little scene, and we forget that it's a teenage mom who just had a baby, that didn't come from her husband, is born in a barn surrounded by smelly shepherds and some weird rich foreign dudes. I mean, you've seen the nativity so many times, you forget that, right? And we need to understand that, this is what I said last week, that, that, that the real Jesus came from a real heaven down to a huge dose of real reality here on earth. Because then, when the Bible says, in this world you will have trouble, we can really lay claim to the rest of the verse that says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I was talking to a, a younger ministry friend this week. Um, and I, I mean, he's just, it's just Ministry's hard through all of this, okay? It's, it's really hard. Some, a lot of jobs have gotten harder. Some jobs maybe didn't, but ministry's hard. You got all these weird expectations and you don't know what's going on. And, 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 and I was just talking to him and he said, yeah, on a, scale of, on a stress scale of one to 10, I'm probably at about an eight right now. And I told him, I'm going to be praying that tomorrow is a six for you. And we prayed together and I texted him the next, the next morning. I said, remember, today's a six. And he said, actually, I think today is a five. And I said, great. And and I said, listen, here's here's what you need to understand. I think Jesus' words, in this world you will have trouble, mean that you should rarely hope for less than a four. Okay? If you hear some preacher tell you that if you just have enough faith, everything's going to turn out to be a one or a two, turn them off. Ask them what they do with this. This is how... The birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she, she was found to be a child through the Holy Spirit, right? And if you were here last week, you get this, okay? There was a was and there was a but. It's a was but. It's a was but situation. And when you find out that you're in a was but situation, it's going to be a problem. I mean, it was quite a shock to everyone, whether we read the story a lot or not. I love the story. Two, two doctors are talking in their doctor's office, and the, and the one of them says, "Hey, what's wrong with Sister Angelica? She was just running down the, the running down the hall, you know, fast as she could, rosary beads spinning in her hand." And the other doctor said, "Oh, I just told her she was pregnant." And the first doc said, "Well, is she?" And he said, "No, but it cured her hiccups." You know. I mean, <laughs> Was and but are two words that go together in a sentence to describe that something is changing, in case you don't understand. But is a grammatical word used in a sentence to introduce something that is true in spite of being contrary to what has been said. And that's the reality of the first Christmas. Things don't always go according to plan. And the dream of a young girl living in Palestine in 1st century AD would have been just like the dream of every other girl, even today in the 21st century. She wants to grow up, she wants to get married, maybe have an income stream, establish some stability, maybe have a baby or two, put on an extra room, you know, get the crib ready, have mom come in and visit. And, And all these dreams are just circulating in the heads of A young girl especially in mary's day maybe never verbalized but you know that's what she was thinking and that was the was and then the but happened okay angels pregnancy no one believes her and then late in the third trimester a mandatory sentence census that was a sentence really perfect timing for that right eight months pregnant i guess at this point big as a house riding on a donkey for 80 miles, finally arriving, no vacancy, no pity, no openings. And Mary slumped into a heap that night, realizing her baby would be born. You know she had to be thinking, this is not the way I thought. This is not the way I imagined it. This is not how I had it planned out in my life. And I ask you, did Mary not have enough faith? Of course she did. Of course she had enough faith. She was a woman of the greatest faith. But in this world, you will have trouble. And we have dreams too, just like Mary. And there's a was, and then there's a but happens in our lives. And that's why I love preaching the Christmas story so often. Let me show you just a scene of Mary and Joseph from the nativity story, and I'll get into a different sweater. You've never really told me of your dream. A dream? No, please. Tell me. The angel came to me and he told me the child within you had been conceived by the Holy Spirit that I should not be afraid. Are you afraid? Yes. Are you? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Do you ever wonder when we'll know? No, no one. When he's more than just a child? Will it be something he says? A look in his eye. I wonder if I won't even be able to teach him anything. Can you imagine? Oh yeah, my child's the son of God. What am I gonna I mean, so much change. And they had other problems as well, you have to realize. Um, they were poor. Um, We know this definitively because when they get to the temple to dedicate baby Jesus, which is a huge big deal, if you have any money at all, you sacrifice a lamb for the dedication ceremony. But if you were poor, the law made it so that you could offer two doves. And there's nothing said about it, just kind of slid in there that they offered the doves as a sacrifice. I mean, if if you've got any money at all and your child is the son of God, like, you, you forget Dave Ramsey, you go put it on your credit card, and you buy a good lamb, right, and you sacrifice the lamb, and, and you know, it's, but they couldn't do it, they were poor. And the politics, man, the Romans didn't like the Jews, and there was a census, and then Herod tries to kill Jesus, right? I mean, all of these things, I mean, we just we just got to come back and remember. And I've been thinking about how much disruption was going on with Mary and Joseph in the sentence. And, 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 and I still called it that, didn't I? The census. The census. The census sentence. And, and it was a complete diversion from normal life. And I thought, you know, this year, it's kind of like that for us, right? I mean... Now we have a transformer variant of the coronavirus. I mean, we're we're going to go on and on and on. We can't stop. And maybe that's what's going on for you. Maybe it's not an unexpected move to another town, but life is blown up for you. Maybe your employer, maybe your aging parents, maybe something about the regulations of coronavirus. Maybe your parents are on your back. Sure, you probably didn't have a virgin birth, but maybe you had a normal one with, with children that it would produce that had needs and personalities that you weren't really Counting on Maybe it wasn't physical pain like an 80-mile ride on a donkey when you're eight months pregnant, but you've got real suffering and real health issues. Maybe you're lonely. This is why I want this to come down to your level as we talk about it. Maybe not literally is there no room in the end, but it sure feels like it to you. Maybe you married someone with a child that wasn't yours. And it's not going so well. Or maybe you're single and you're wishing an angel would show up to some good guy or good gal and tell them, Hey, you should marry me, you know? I mean, all of those things relate to where we live in our world. And look at this. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Okay? So you've got the was but and you've got the greatly troubled. You understand how this, th- this is why we're supposed to know this. You getting the point? So what do you do when you're unraveled, when you're greatly troubled? What did Mary do? Okay, this is going to be really simple today, and I hope you can remember it. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left him, left her, okay? She believed and she obeyed, and we call her blessed because of it, right? How about Joseph? When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Okay? Just want you to see that again. He did what the angel commanded. This is the important part, all right? Let's keep looking at it. Okay? Joseph woke up. From his dream. The Bible says he did exactly what God commanded. That meant raising a child that wasn't his. That meant not consummating the marriage until the baby was born. And there's more of the story, okay? There are a lot of sacrifices. Here's what Joel Gregory said. Before this, the biggest decision that Joseph had ever made was which grain of wood matched the table leg. And now he found himself confronted with some of the greatest issues of the ages. When they had gone, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, take the child and his mother, and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So Joseph did what? He got up, took the child and his mother, and left for Egypt. What did he do? He did it. He got up. He made it happen. Okay? This is it. And listen, go to Egypt is not like go to Joliet, you guys. Go to Egypt is like go to Nebraska. Okay? So after Herod died, let's just keep watching Joseph. An angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Okay, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So what do you think Joseph did? What did he do here? Well, he got up and he took the child and he took, went to, back to Israel, right? Okay, he did what he was supposed to do. So so what am I saying? Mary and Joseph were in a was-but situation. They were in a greatly troubled situation. They were in an unraveled situation. And what did they do? What do you do when you're in an unraveled life? Are you ready? This is all you need to remember today. Just do the next right thing. You're not going to get to figure out how everything is going to go. I've been living this all my life. <laughs> you just do the next right thing. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, dude, if I had an angel appear to me in a dream, of course I would obey. What do I do if I don't have an angel? Let me tell you something God did send you a message, okay? Sure, Joseph got an angel, but Joseph didn't have the Bible, right? He hadn't heard the words of Jesus yet because he hadn't been born yet. Listen to what Hebrews 1 1 and 2 says. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, who he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. Do I believe God still instructs us today? Sure, most of the time we're just not listening. But even if Jesus or an angel never shows up while we're in this body, I don't think that our biggest problem is finding out God's specific will for a certain situation in our life. I think our bigger problem is following the will of God we already know. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, I don't know if God wants you to take a pie to your neighbor's house on Thursday night and invite them to the Christmas Eve service, okay? But what I do know is that you should love your neighbor as yourself, right? So do the next right thing. I don't know if God wants you to go to Africa and take care of of, of poor people or an AIDS orphan. I don't know that, but I know that the whole chapter of Matthew 25 was you better take care of the poor, right? I don't know if God wants you to go to Christmas family dinner with people who hurt you, what we talked about last week. What I do know is as far as it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone, right? I don't think we need to know the specific little details of even what the next right thing is. I think we already know what the next right thing is. We just need to do the next right thing. Mark Twain said, it ain't the parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I can understand. That's what I talked about last week when that, when that verse said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you and all that junk. I, I, I understand that. I just don't like it. So what should I do? The more unraveled your life is, the more you got to hone in on just do the next right thing. You may not figure it out exactly, People in the Bible didn't always figure it out exactly either. I love love this story. I mean, if you think anybody ought to, like, understand all the specific little things they ought to understand about the will of God, it would have been the guy that wrote most of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, right? So, So listen to Acts 16. This just cracks me up. Paul and his companions traveled, and there's just a bunch of words in here and and, and just, just so you know, the key to uh, pronouncing biblical words, if you're ever reading them out loud, is just to say it with force and, 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 and act like you know that that's how it's pronounced. And nobody's going to argue with you because they don't know either. Okay, here we go. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia. I'd love to live in Phrygia, wouldn't you? having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. And they came to the border of Mysia, and they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to do it. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia, standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Uh, I mean, come on, Paul, what what are you doing? I mean, you tried to go into someplace and the spirit of Jesus said, no, you can't go in there? I mean, this just reminds me of like Elf, right? In New York City looking for the, you know, the the Empire State Building and eating gum off the railing. And congratulations, you built the world's best cup of coffee because he had no idea where he's going. But you know what's important about Acts 16. What's important about Acts 16 is not that it took them a while to figure out where they were supposed to go. The key was that Paul was following God in the first place. Just do the next right thing. If it's not the right next right thing, Jesus will tell you. But at least you'll be moving forward. Let's go back to Joseph. Because Joseph, her husband, was a, I love this, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Okay? Let me come back to this. He he was a righteous man. What, what did that mean? That meant he did, usually did the next right thing. Right, the righteous thing, right? Before the angel, this is really important. Joseph was already a righteous man. So what is he going to do before the angel comes and he finds out it really is the son of God? What is he going to do? He's going to do this is the next right thing. The NRT, he's going to do it, the next right thing. Angel or not, in Joseph's day or our day, no one would expect you to be married, go ahead and marry an unfaithful pregnant fiance, right? As a matter of fact, he could have exposed her to public disgrace. He could have had her stoned like they were going to do to the adulterous woman they brought to Jesus. (coughs) But Joseph was a righteous man. He was an NRT man, next right thing man. And he decided not to hurt Mary. He wanted to do the next right thing as far as he understood it. And that's when God intervened. The Apostle Paul was headed to the place he thought God wanted him to go. And that's when God showed him a different way. But at least he was moving. Do the next right thing. I mean, this whole making a list, checking it twice, going to find out is naughty and nice thing, works for a little bit at Christmas. But real obedience is about doing it for the long haul. The key is to obey what you do already know. That's the hard part. I'll listen to Max Alcada, Joseph's prayer. This isn't the way I planned it, God, not at all. My child being born in a stable, this isn't the way I thought it would be. A cave with sheep and donkeys, hay and straw, my wife giving birth with only the stars to hear her pain. This isn't what I imagined. I imagined family and grandmothers and friends in the house erupting with joy at the first cry of an infant, slaps on the back, jubilation. That's how I thought it would be. Did I miss something, God? When you sent the angel and spoke of the son being born, this isn't what I pictured. I envisioned Jerusalem, the temple, the priests, people gathered, a pageant, a parade, a banquet. I mean, this is the Messiah. I'm unaccustomed to strangeness, God. This, This is great. I'm unaccustomed to strangeness, God. I'm a carpenter. I make things fit. I square off the edges. I follow a plumb line. I measure twice before I cut once. Surprises are not the friend of a builder. I like to know the plan. I like to see the plan before I begin. But this time I'm not the builder, am I? This time I'm the tool. I'm a hammer in your grip, a nail between your fingers. I wonder, Max asked, did Joseph ever pray such a prayer? Perhaps he did, perhaps he didn't, but you probably have. You stood where Joseph stood, caught between what God says and what makes sense. You've done what he told you to do, only to wonder if it was him speaking in the first place. You've stared into the sky blackened with doubt, and you've asked Joseph what what Joseph asked. You've asked if you're still on the right road, if you were supposed to turn left and you turned right. You've asked if there's a plan behind this scheme. Each of us knows what it's like to search the night for light, not outside a stable, but maybe outside an emergency room, on the gravel of a roadside, on a manicured grass of the cemetery. We've asked, we've questioned, and we've wondered why God does what he does. The Bethlehem sky is not the first to hear the pleadings of confused pilgrims. If you're asking what Joseph asked, let me urge you to do what Joseph did, obey, he obeyed when the angel called. He obeyed when Mary explained. He obeyed what, when God sent. He was obedient to God. He didn't let his confusion disrupt his obedience. He didn't know everything, but he did what he knew. He shut down his business, packed up his family, and went to another country. Why? Because that's what God said to do. So what about you? Just like Joseph, you can't see the whole picture. Just like Joseph, your task is to see that Jesus is brought into your part of your world. And just like Joseph, you have a choice to obey or disobey. Because Joseph obeyed, God used him to change the world. Can he do the same for you? Will you be that kind of person? Will you serve even when you don't understand? No, the Bethlehem sky is not the first to hear the pleadings of an honest heart or the last. And perhaps God didn't answer every question for Joseph, but he answered the most important one. Are you still with me, God? And through the first cries of the God child, the answer came, yes, Joseph, I'm with you. There are many questions about the Bible that we won't be able to answer until we get home. Many knot holes and snapshots. Many times we will muse, I wonder. But in our wonderings, there is one question we will never need to ask. And that is, does God care? Do we matter to God? Does God still love his children? Through the small face of the stable born baby, he says, yes. Yes, your sins are forgiven. Yes, your name is written in heaven. Yes, death has been defeated. And yes, God has entered your world. Emmanuel, God with us. That's not a lot of encouragement for you today, I understand. I mean, you look at Mary and Joseph and what they went through, I have to ask myself what kept them going, right? Uh, And the next right thing, the NRT, that's all you got to remember this week, just do the NRT. The NRT kept them going, but at some point that becomes about duty. It becomes about a sense of obedience that's that's just a sense of duty for us at some point. And what keeps us going in the long run is no sense of duty. It has to be coupled with a sense of hope. What kept Mary and Joseph going was not duty, it was hope. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Right? And don't think that's just for her because Jesus came, the Lord is with you too. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God, for nothing is impossible with God. I I mean, I just want to underline everything in this whole story. Nothing is impossible with God. That's, That's the hope. And maybe you've heard that line before, but this is where it started. In this really messed up, unraveled situation, the angel says, hey, nothing is impossible with God. Several years ago, I remember reading in Popular Science, they published an article proving that the virgin birth was impossible. It was so dumb. I mean, of course it's impossible. I mean, it's not like Christians don't understand the reproductive system. Okay, we're not like the little boy who for months kept telling his teacher in first grade about the baby brother or sister he was expecting. And then one day the mother allowed the the, the boy to feel the baby moving in her tummy. And, And he was obviously impressed, but he didn't make any comment. And he didn't really say much more about the baby after that until his teacher one day asked him about how's that little baby that's coming. And he burst into tears and said, I think mommy ate it. We're not that dumb, okay? Christians understand how babies get in there. It's impossible. That's the point, stupid science magazine. We also know the difference between natural and supernatural, and that's why it's super. What turns the NRT into something we do based on hope and faith, not just duty. God does have a plan. They had a promise, some determination, Sure, but they had a lot of hope, and so do you. And all you need in your unraveled Christmas 2021 is a little hope, a little faith. I'm not asking you to believe it all. I'm not telling you that you can't be skeptical about angels and virgin births and wise men from afar. I'm just saying, what if? Joseph, son of David, the angel told him, Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son, and you will give him the name Jesus, because he will save the people from their sins. What I'm saying is the key is to obey what you do know, but the power comes from trusting what you don't know, because you believe in the one who knows it all. The key is to obey what you do know, but the power comes from trusting what you don't know because you believe in the one who knows it all. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. And 33 years later, just before he was arrested, Jesus told his disciples, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And right after that, he says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Where do you get peace? You get peace from trusting in the one who knows it all. Where do you get hope? You you have hope from trusting in the one who knows it all. Well, what should I do next? Well, you should do the next right thing. You should do the NRT. Don't worry about what step five is down the road. Don't worry about what you're supposed to do in 2024. Do the next right thing, and God will lead you. And trust in the fact that he does know how everything is supposed to happen because he's your father who loves you, and he's in charge. Could Mary and Joseph see the end? No, of course not. As a matter of fact, if they could have seen what Simeon prophesied about the cross, how would they have felt? Now they understand, but if they could have seen that, how would they have felt? How would you feel if you were signing up to adopt a child from heaven that you knew was going to be crucified on a cross for the sins of the world? Again, the key is to obey what you do know, but the power comes from trusting what you don't know because you believe in the one who knows it all. I feel like I spent most of the sermon telling you you need to keep going, but we don't keep going without hope. That would be impossible. Just remember that nothing is impossible with God. God, thank you again for this story. Thank you. Because I know there are people out there who are living at a two or a three on the stress scale right now. They're above the average on the, in this world you will have trouble scale as far as I'm concerned. And I, and I pray for them and I, I pray that you'll give them a sense of peace. And, and, and I don't want to be a downer. I hope they live there forever. But Lord, when those times come and for those who are living on the top end of that scale. Maybe they're at eight here today as well. Will you help them to stop worrying about five steps from now and just focus on the NRT. Just focus on the next right thing and put their hope and their trust in the fact that you are the one who knows it all and you're gonna take care of it all. And it's all gonna work out because you're our dad be with us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.